0: everyone and welcome to another edition of criminal discourse podcast. I'm Trish and I'm Maddie. We are so excited to share with you something new. We have our own website now. So if you go to criminal discord podcast, all one word, com, you'll be able to see our website. You'll be able to see all the episodes we've done so far, all of our show notes, and there is a section where you can contact us. So, you know, fill it out. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you're interested in hearing and maybe even some case recommendations. But of course you can still listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. That's iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcast Stitcher.
1: So hopefully we will soon be on Pandora as well. So to be... Determined.
0: That's exciting. Okay. So, uh, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. We really like doing this for you. And actually, if you've noticed, hopefully our sounds changed a little bit for you. We're using new microphones. We're trying to get a better sound quality. So, please bear with us as we go through this trial and tribulations of learning the ins and outs of these new microphones. So, without further delay, we're going to get started. Maddie, we're doing the Murder of Lori show. Do you remember this murder? I do not.
1: I have never heard of this before you sent the notes through.
0: It happened in 1991. So I'm going to ask, were you even born in 1991? No, I wasn't. I knew it. When I was researching this case, I knew you weren't born yet. Okay. So for our listeners, this episode takes place in Lancaster County, not Lancaster, as some people like to say. It is Lancaster and it's in South Central part of Pennsylvania. So yeah, we're back in Pennsylvania. And Lancaster is located about 75 miles west of Philadelphia. It is one of the oldest inland towns in the United States. And Maddie, do you know what the original name for Lancaster City was in Lancaster County?
1: Um, Amish Love?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that would be fitting, wouldn't it, since there are a lot of Amish there? No, I when I was researching like a little history on it, it was Hickory Town. Really? So could you imagine saying, hey, I'm heading down to, yeah, Hickory Town. But a prominent citizen of the time didn't really like Hickory Town, so he changed it to where he came from in England to Lancaster. So that's our connection with England, that they have a town named Lancaster there. We have a Lancaster here. Lancaster City is also known as the Red Rose City. So every New Year's, they drop a red rose in the square. That I did know. So we're going to talk specifically about an area a little east of Lancaster city called East Lampeter Township. Uh, This covers approximately 21 square miles and it's also named after a town in Wales. So that's it for your worthless trivia knowledge.
1: Shout out to our Wales listeners. I know you're out there.
0: That's right. We do have a few. We don't know who you are. We only know locations of where people listen to us. So we do. We do have some listeners in Wales. So thank you. So our story takes place in 1991. And that was the year that Lori Show was 16 years old. And she was about to begin her sophomore year at Conestoga Valley High School in East Lampeter Township. She lived there with her mom, Hazel Show, and her parents were divorced. And her mom and her lived in a condominium, like one of those apartment condominium complexes on Oak drive. So it was during the summer, uh, specifically in July of 1991, when Lori met an older boy, I'm not sure if I'd say boy, older man by the name of Lawrence Yukin. He was 20 years old. He was a high school dropout. He worked in a lumber yard and as a roofer. And he had just recently exited a relationship, an on-off relationship he had with his previous girlfriend. Her name is Lisa Michelle Lambert. She was 18. She had also dropped out of high school. When they decided to end their relationship, and again, this was an on-and-off-again relationship, she was pregnant with their child. And during a week, and really this was over only about a seven- or eight-day period, they had gone out on a few dates. But on the last time they were together, Lori would come home and tell her mother that Yukin had raped her in the cab of his truck. Lori Show would make a police report on July 31st, 1991, reporting the rape. Now, right after this incident, Yukin got back together with Lisa Michelle Lambert. And soon, this started her campaign of harassment and stalking against Lori Show and her family. Lambert was convinced that Lori was trying to steal Yukon from her. I'm not really sure how.
1: Well, it is true that filing a report of rape, that does really scream, I want your man. Yeah,
0: a lot of things I read on this would talk about a love triangle, and I'm like, this wasn't a love triangle. I mean, he had gone out with this girl, he had sexually, allegedly, sexually assaulted her, and she, she didn't want
1: anything to do with him. Well, in any case, even allegedly, I mean, she was 16 and he was 20. Right. So, in any case it wasn't legal no it wasn't
0: illegal no correct in the state of Pennsylvania anything 16 is age of consent five years no it's four but she was convinced she was furious at Lori's show whether it was the fact that he stepped out so soon after they ended their relationship and he went out with this younger girl or she was mad at the fact that you know, he had sex with this girl, allegedly raped, and she didn't want to believe that part of it. And she was just taking all of her anger and frustration out on Lori's show. It got so bad. She would call the show residents and this was back with landlines. So this was pre-cell phone. And she would call. And when they would pick up, she would scream and yell obscenities into the phone and threats. And Hazel's show, Lori's mom would get on the phone and be like, stop it. Leave us alone. And she wouldn't. It got so bad that they had to change their phone number. So when she wasn't able to reach them by phone, that's when she began the stalking aspect of things. And she would show up at, Lori worked at Deb clothing store in a local mall. Well, she'd show up there and she'd start hurling insults and threats and obscenities at her. She would make statements to others of wanting to scare Lori, but then wanting to hurt Lori and even wanting to slit her throat. The shows would end up filing assault charges against Lambert because of an incident in November of 1991 where she took Lori's head and banged it off of a parked truck. So this police investigation, this was made at the November of 1991, and the police really didn't get to investigating this until around December 15th of that year. And I don't know because it was kind of low priority, but it took a while for them to start the investigation of this. So along with filing charges, the shows did attempt to get an order of protection against Lambert, but at the time, the laws weren't as weren't strong stalking laws and harassment laws like, yeah, like they are today. So Lambert, even at one time, tried to recruit some girls to help lure Lori out so that they could basically kidnap her and cut off all her hair and tie her to a pole somewhere within Lancaster City. Now, this didn't happen because the girls that she told this to told Lori show of Lambert's plan, so she was kind of really extra vigilant. So on December 19, 1991, Hazel Show received a phone call from Lori's guidance counselor at Conestoga Valley High School, asking her if she would come in the next morning to meet to discuss some concerns she had regarding Lori and another male student who she claimed Lori had gotten into some trouble with. So when Hazel got home that night, she asked Lori about it. And Lori was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But Hazel decided she would go the next morning to try to clear up what she thought was just a misunderstanding. So on December 20th, 1991, Hazel left around 7 o'clock in the morning, and when she left, Lori was up, she was drying her hair, she was wearing sweatpants, and just preparing for her final day of classes before the Christmas break. So when she left, she shut the door and locked it, and she drove with the 10 minutes to Conestoga Valley High School, and she arrived around 7, 10, 7, 15, and in between that time to meet with Lori's guidance counselor. But when she got to the guidance office, the secretary there didn't know why she was there. There was nothing on this guidance counselor's schedule to meet with Hazel, and the guidance counselor wasn't even present. So this confused Hazel as to kind of what was going on, so she decided to drive back to the condo. And when she got there, the downstairs neighbor stopped her to say, Hey, I heard some strange sounds coming from your apartment. Now, this downstairs neighbor would later testify as to what they heard exactly. And what they heard was they heard the slamming of the front door, followed by a scream and a thump on the floor. And about eight Ten minutes later, they heard the door slam again, and this was around, probably around 7.10, 7.15, in between that time, and when they looked out their window, they saw two people of identical height exiting the stairwell. So the show's condominium was on the second floor, and this was the downstairs neighbor below them.
1: So the neighbor saw all this and didn't think maybe I should call the police?
0: Well, he wasn't sure kind of what he was seeing. He just heard these sounds, and it was a brief time period, and then just saw these people exiting. He didn't know what was going on. So Hazel ran upstairs. She got to the front door, and she realized it was unlocked, which kind of set off alarm bells for her. So she went inside the apartment. She calls Lori. Lori doesn't answer. She runs through the apartment and she finds her daughter lying on her bedroom floor with what would turn out to be a five-inch gash in her throat, stab wounds that punctured her lungs, and another one that grazed her spine. The medical examiner would testify at trial that Lori had several bruises to her head from blunt force trauma. She had three cuts on her back from stab wounds and one stab wound that penetrated through her right lung, two wounds to her legs and one cut in her thigh that actually penetrated her pelvis, and 21 cuts to her hands, which they felt were defensive wounds, and of course the five inch gash across her throat. So Along with these wounds and the defensive wounds, there was also a rope tied around her neck. So Hazel immediately calls 911. This call comes in around 735. She runs to the kitchen to grab a knife to cut the rope from around Lori's neck. And she says that Lori is still alive at this time. And and the medical examiner backs her up with his examination. And she's like, who did this? Who did this? And she says that Lori says to her, Michelle did it. Michelle, Michelle, love you love you, love you, love you, and then she mouthed the words love you, and that was it. Lori show would be buried two days before Christmas, and about 600 people showed up at her funeral. And these were classmates and community members that just came out to give an outpouring of love to this young woman that had been murdered in her own home.
1: And it's so sad. I mean, a lot of most of almost all of the cases that we do are tragic. But this 16 year old that was just ready to start life and being tortured and killed in this in such a brutal way. I mean, it's just unfathomable to me that someone could do this to her.
0: Yes. And almost like a blitz attack. They weren't in there very long. From the time mom left to the time she returned, it was a half hour at most. There was a documentary I watched on YouTube called The Killing of Lori Show. I believe it's from March 5th, 2013. It's still on there. It comes in three parts. And Hazel show is interviewed along with prosecutors and police officers and even Lisa Michelle Lambert. But what Hazel show says is that at least she was able to hold her daughter As she died, she goes, Some parents that have children murdered don't get that. They don't get to be there to comfort them and to be there in those final moments. So she, she does talk about that, of at least being able to be there. So the police arrive and the investigation commences. And because they had this history, of course, of harassment and stalking from Lisa Michelle Lambert, they immediately are looking for her and Lawrence Yukin. So they are found later that same day at the Garden Spot Bowling Alley near Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Now, one caveat to this, I told you Michelle was pregnant with Lawrence's baby the day of the murder she's six months pregnant when she is picked up by the police the day of the murder
1: and do we know you said Lori, according to hazel the last thing she said was michelle did it do we know if lisa michelle lambert went by her middle name at all
0: yes she did okay she said that lawrence preferred michelle so she did not go by she wasn't really known as lisa michelle lambert she went by michelle lambert and that's how they knew her, as Michelle Lambert. Okay. Okay. So not only do they pick up Lisa, Michelle Lambert, and, and Lawrence Yukon, they also pick up 17-year-old Tabitha Buck. Tabitha had moved to the area with her family from Oregon within the past year, and she was with them when they found them, so they brought all three in for interviews. So the initial statements by Yukin, Lambert, and Buck showed that they were all involved in some form or fashion. Yukin claims that he dropped Lambert and Buck off at the show's apartment complex, but he did not participate in the murders and had only driven them there and then picked them up and then helped dispose of evidence. So you can admit it to taking Lisa to the local Kmart the night before the murders, where she purchased rope, two black hats, and possibly gloves. I read a variety of articles on this case, and some said she purchased gloves, some didn't even mention the gloves. So you can claim that he thought Lambert and Buck were only going to cut off Lori's hair as a prank. But they had taken the knife with him that he kept in his vehicle, and he admitted that he helped to provide an alibi and dispose of evidence such as when he picked the girls back up, they went back to the trailer that Lawrence and Michelle were living in and they washed the clothes that they were wearing, specifically a black pair of sweatpants that Lisa Michelle was wearing the day of the murder that were Yukins, extra large pants, and putting them all into a garbage bag after they washed them and then throwing them into a dumpster behind Kmart. Then they took another bag and put the rope and the knife and threw it away into the Susquehanna River. So they questioned Tabitha Buck, who I believe admitted to being there and claims that she had gotten Lori to open the apartment door, and then they both rushed the door and went inside, and that's when they wrestled her to the ground in her bedroom, and she admits to sitting on Lori Show's legs as Lisa Michelle Lambert is stabbing her and slicing her throat. So Lisa Michelle gave a variety of stories why she was there. She was read her rights, which she waived, and she gave the police the, her original alibi statement. Now, I haven't been able to find what that alibi statement was, but she soon gave another statement where she did admit to being involved in Lori Show's murder. Now, she would later recant that statement, stating that, that she was in this abusive relationship with Lawrence Yukon and he had been the one to encourage her to harass an assault show, and that Tabitha Buck was actually the one that stabbed Lori, that she had tried to save Lori. She had gone there to just commit a prank, but the prank had gone horribly wrong, and Buck flipped out, and Buck started stabbing her, and she could do nothing to stop her. So that's kind of where her story evolved to, and it would evolve again from that point.
1: Oh yeah, I'm shocked by that. Because I'm sure that it's Tabitha Buck that wanted to go in and kill this girl and not the one that's been stalking and harassing her for months prior. (laughs)
0: Correct. So in 1992, Lambert and Buck were each tried separately for Lori Show's murder. Junkin agreed to testify against Lambert for a reduced sentence of seven years contingent on him telling the truth. Now, this plea deal would later be revoked when he was found to have lied on the stand at Lambert and Buck's trials, and he was tried and convicted of third-degree murder and sentenced to 10 to 20 years in state prison. He was released from state prison after 12 years in 2004. And I still believe he lives in the Lancaster County area. So Lambert decided to go for a bench trial. She didn't want a jury trial. So her trial was before Judge Lauren Stengel. And per the trial testimony, Eugen had dropped Lambert and Buck off at the show apartment complex, but remained in the car. Now Buck, again, got Lori to open the door because Hazel said there is no way Lori would have opened that door for Lisa Michelle Lambert. No way.
1: Well, of course. That's the whole reason that Lisa Michelle Lambert needed Tabitha Buck.
0: Correct. And Tabitha Buck is the one that called Hazel show and set up the fake guidance appointment because they needed mom out of the way. So once Lambert and Buck entered the apartment, they attacked Lori with Lambert cutting Lori's throat in a fit of jealous rage while Buck sat on her legs, keeping her down. Now at trial, the sweatpants that Lambert had been wearing that morning were placed into evidence and the sweatpants had show's blood on them, placing Lambert at the scene. The prosecution's theory was that Lisa Michelle Lambert was jealous of Lori's show, believing she had wanted to get Yukon back. Again, I'm not really sure how that came about, but they also had another theory and what I more subscribe to, and that is that Lambert did this harassment and stalking of Laurie's show to intimidate her into dropping the charges against Lawrence Yukon. Remember, she was pregnant. And if he went to jail for rape. It could be a couple of years. And she was a high school dropout. I don't think she had a job. So she was really desperate for him not to go away.
1: Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me when you were explaining that she started stalking her after the alleged rape. But it does make sense if that's what her goal was to get her to actually drop the charges. Because like you said, if she was a single mom and she didn't have a job, the only thing that, well, besides the fact that it was her boyfriend and she didn't want him in jail, that would be her only source of income.
0: Yeah. absolutely. So on July 20th, 1992, Lambert, wearing a white satin evening gown, was convicted of first degree murder and criminal conspiracy. So Tabitha Buck was convicted of second degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now she went with a jury trial and this was in October of 1992. And again, she was 17 at the time of the murder, uh, but she was 18 when she was sentenced. And she was given a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment. So you'd think that would be the end of the story, right? This was a horrific murder and the people that did it, all the responsible parties are in jail, but that's not quite the end of it. So in 1997, what happened would turn this case upside down and really bring into question a state's legal rights over federal rights when it came to the appeals process. So I read a great article in the LA Times from 1997, and you can find that reference in the show notes. But Lisa Michelle Lambert, she had filed some appeals at the state level, and they were, of course, all denied and they upheld her original conviction. So she decided to write a letter to a federal judge claiming that she was being framed. And she was being framed by some police officers on the East Lampeter Township Police Force. She claims that four or five officers had gang raped her and that they are the ones that framed her for this murder and that she was totally innocent of this murder.
1: So that they had raped her at the time that she was arrested?
0: No, this was prior to even the murder.
1: So her claim was, I was raped by these officers and their way of keeping me silent was to frame me for this crime? Yes. Okay.
0: And she claimed prosecutorial misconduct and that evidence, perjured evidence, was allowed in trial and evidence was switched and she claimed everything. So this federal judge, usually what would happen if you haven't exhausted everything at the state level, usually federal judges will deny to hear it because, again, you haven't ran through all your appeals. But this judge didn't. So Lambert now claimed also that Yukin had participated in the murder and had actually choked Lori's show. She claims that Yukin and Buck were the ones to hold her down, were the ones to stab her, and that she was trying to save Lori, but she was too scared. She claims that she did not cut Lori's throat and she had actually been sent out of the room by Lawrence Yukin when he did so. She also claimed battered woman syndrome. She claimed that Yukon was afraid that he might go to jail for raping Lori, allegedly, and had urged Michelle and Tabitha Buck, who, again, had recently just moved to the area, she didn't know a lot of people, to do this for him, to intimidate her. And that it was, again, Tabitha Buck and Lawrence Yukon who went crazy and killed Lori Show. The defense provided witnesses that claimed to have seen Yukin threaten Lambert violently in the past and another witness that had seen a police officer give Lambert a threatening glare while at a local festival. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it was to try to show that she was targeted by the police and that that threatening glare tied him to her alleged gang rape. I'm not really sure, but this is kind of what they brought up at this federal trial. So the defense had also provided a letter that Lisa. Michelle Lambert had written Lawrence Ukin in jail, I think when they were both in jail, and they call it the 29 questions. Like she had put 29 questions that he answered, and based upon his answers, it showed that he was the real killer. But again, during her state trials and her appeal trials, they didn't really see this as having anything really to do the outcome of her trial. The fact that she was present and admits to being present, regardless of she did the killing or not, she was present. So she's equally culpable. So they also questioned Hazel Show at this federal trial because Hazel Show remembers that when she returned, was returning from the school in the morning, she had passed a brownish color car in which she recognized Lawrence Yukin. So the defense felt that this backed up Lambert's story because she claims that Lawrence Yukin was there, was present in the condo. But the prosecutors, the state prosecutors were like, okay, you were in the car with him as you were leaving the complex. It doesn't mean he was ever in the apartment. But this didn't also help the prosecution because at the, her original trial, they claimed Yukon was nowhere near this. Like he had dropped them a ways from her apartment complex. He didn't like pull up to the door and that the girls were to meet him at another location where he picked him up. But Hazel's testimony showed that she had passed him on the way back in the apartment complex. So the prosecutors even put Buck on the stand and she testified that Lambert was the active participant in the attack. And she had even told Tabitha Buck, hey, make sure you wear your hair up, don't wear any makeup, and don't wear any fingernail polish. I'm not really sure why, in case it was, you know, not to leave any trace evidence around.
1: Which, at that point, Buck had no reason to lie. She was already in prison for life. There was no motivation there for her to try to cover up for Yukon.
0: Yes. So this federal judge, his name was Judge Stuart Dazzle, and at the end of this trial, and you could see through this LA Times article, that he was on Lambert's side from the beginning, like he believed that she was set up, that she was totally innocent of these crimes. So what he would end up doing is he ruled that Lambert was innocent, citing wholesale prosecutorial misconduct, and granted Lambert a petition for release on April 16th, 1997. And he also barred the state from retrying Lambert at all. Like the state of Pennsylvania couldn't touch her, like double jeopardy has been attached.
1: A federal judge can do that?
0: This judge did. He felt that there. Were, he wanted investigations into all these prosecutors, like federal investigations. He claimed she was innocent. He basically wiped out her conviction and said, oh, by the way, state of Pennsylvania, you can't retry her. She's free and clear to go.
1: That's insane. I can't believe that a federal judge even has the power to do that. I could see mandating a retrial or something, but releasing someone for prison and then saying that you couldn't retry her when it was one judge making that decision doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, but he did. And this shot off a firestorm. Cause I remember when this hit the papers, like people are like, What? What what gives him the right to do this? Because the attorney general of Pennsylvania filed an appeal because he's like, wait a minute, you can't supersede a state's rights. She has not gone through the appeal process in the state of Pennsylvania. She just totally bypassed it and jumped to you. And that's not the way things are done. And the Federal Third Circuit Court of Appeals Agreed. So when the state of Pennsylvania Attorney General filed this appeal, there were like six other states, I think California was one of them, that jumped on this too because they were like, wait, 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 the federal government has no right to do this. It's one thing if you exhaust all your appeals at the estate level and then you move up to the federal level, but she didn't do that. So she was released from prison and had about eight months of freedom before she had to go back to prison. So that occurred around February of 1998 that she went back to state prison. So in May 1998... Judge Lauren Stengel, who was member of the judge in her first trial, presided over her second, an appeals trial, which was basically witnesses were called like they were in her original trial. You had Lawrence Yukin, you had Tabitha Buck. So in August of 1998, Judge Stengel would upheld Lambert's original guilty verdict, stating that even if he did believe her story, like I said before, she would still be guilty of first degree murder as an accomplice because she was there you don't get to say oh i didn't stab her oh i didn't hold her down but i was present so i'm not culpable it doesn't work that way
1: and still even that that makes it even more incredible that this federal judge just wiped her slate clean when even in her appeal to that federal judge okay she was saying she was set up but from the beginning she said that she was there right like
0: the the prosecutors at the time thought the judge may say okay you deserve a new trial because there was some sloppy police work like they It did make the state of Pennsylvania and the prosecutors and some of the police officers, once they got on the stand, they didn't look good. You'll have to read this article. But in no way, shape, or form did it knock out her culpability. So Lambert went through her state appeals. They were all denied. She got back up to the federal level and actually was going to be back in the same courtroom as Judge Dazelle, but he recused himself. He didn't want, I mean, he could have listened to it again. But because of all the media attention around it and the uproar, he decided, to recuse himself. And because of that, she was denied her appeal. And it moved all the way up, you know, once you get to the US Supreme Court, they denied hearing her appeal. And that was in 2005. So her appeals are done. She is in state prison for the rest of her life.
1: Let her rot, just saying.
0: So there have been some other outcomes of this case. Hazel Show became an advocate and she campaigned for tougher anti-stalking laws in Pennsylvania because of what happened to her daughter. I mean, she was stalked for six months and a new anti-stalking law was signed and went into effect of June, 1993. So she really took her grief and turned it into advocacy. And we do hear that in a lot of cases that I've read or you see on TV. So in 2007, Lisa Michelle Lambert isn't done. She sued the State Correctional Institute that she was housed in over claims that she was raped and assaulted by a state prison staff in 1996. She claimed that the institution had done nothing to stop these assaults, and she actually did receive a settlement of $35,000, and the guard that had been convicted of assaulting her served about one and a half to three-year prison sentence from it. Now, that $35,000 doesn't go into her books. It actually went to her daughter, who's being raised by her parents, who I think by now would be, am I wrong, 27? She'd be in her 20s, I believe.
1: Yeah, she'd be a little bit older than me. Oh, so still young. <laughs> so on November
0: twenty-second, 2017, Tabitha Buck, who we really haven't heard anything from, she really, when she was sentenced, she went off and did her time. I think she was housed at the State Correctional Institute in Muncie. She never really talked about it. She never did any interviews. She would be, when she had to be called to testify, she would. But other than that, she just kind of went about her Way. But in November of 2017, something happened. Tabitha Buck was resentenced to a term of 28 years to life due to the U.S. Supreme Court ruling banning mandatory life sentences for juveniles, finding it unconstitutional to not allow for parole. So remember, when these killings took place, she was 17 years old. So the U.S. Supreme Court had put this ruling into effect in 2012, but most states read it as okay. Any juveniles from this point forward, we cannot give mandatory life sentences. They get life with the possibility of parole, but we don't really have to go back and look at the ones that have already been sentenced. But I guess there were some legal wranglings and it finally came out that the state of Pennsylvania was ordered in 2016 to review past juvenile cases, but she was one of them. So because they were ordered to review these cases in 2016 and she fell under that, she is eligible for parole starting in December of 2020. Eligible. Doesn't mean she'll get it, but she is eligible. And she's been ordered to pay costs should she get parole. She would have to pay the costs of prosecution and submit to a DNA sampling, and she would have to pay the show family like $7,738 in restitution for funeral expenses. I also read that Lawrence Yukin owed restitution of about $12,000, and I think he's paid maybe half of that I don't know if he's paid it all off at this point, but the article already had paid half off to that point. And Hazel Show said that it really wasn't about the money, but it's the fact that they have to make these payments so that they never forget what they did. So by all accounts, Buck was a model prisoner during her time behind bars. At her resentencing hearing or at this hearing where she was resentenced to 28 years to life, Buck told the court that she would ask for permission to move back to Oregon with her family if she's paroled. Buck's lawyers claim that she was negatively influenced by Lisa Michelle Lambert as, she again, she had just moved, you know, from West Coast to East Coast. She didn't really know anybody. And I'm not really sure how she got hooked up with Lisa Michelle Lambert, but she did. So as of this October, she will have served 27 years behind bars.
1: Which, who knows? I mean, it may really be, as she said, where she just thought that they were pulling a prank and that Lisa Michelle Lambert took it too far and ended up violently killing Lori. We don't know what was truly going on in in Tabitha's head either at that point.
0: Correct. But the fact is, she didn't try to help Lori show, and she sat on her legs holding her down. So Lisa Michelle Lambert wrote a tell-all why she's been in prison regarding her versions of events, and it's called Love, Murder, and Corruption in Lancaster County, My Story. It was published in February 15th, 2016, and I believe you can find it on Amazon. I'm not buying it. I didn't read it. I read some of the reviews. But much of her story contradicts, of course, the testimony and evidence that was used against her in trial. She maintains she was framed by police who had gang raped her in early 1991 and that she lied about her involvement to protect her boyfriend who abused and manipulated her. And I'm not saying that's not true, the abuse. I'm just saying probably all the rest of it isn't. She claims that she was controlled at all times by those around her. And in the months leading up to the attack, she says every time she screamed at Lori or her mother or when she even knocked Lori to the ground or banged her head off the truck. It was just a misunderstanding and an accident.
1: Oh, didn't we hear that before? Oh, wait, wasn't that the murder of Seth Jackson where he said the same thing? Everything was a misunderstanding. It was a misunderstanding. I wasn't trying to stalk and attack you. You just didn't understand my intention.
0: I go, I point out this point, if it really was a prank gone wrong, like your whole purpose of going in there because you got her mom out of the way, you know, she'd be alone and you went there to cut her hair. Why wouldn't you bring any scissors with you? Why a knife? I don't go to my stylist and she takes a blade to my hair. Thank God. You know, I love my stylist. Like, no. It wasn't a prank on wrong. You didn't even take any scissors with you. So she goes on to describe in a book her relationship with Yukin as being very violent and controlling, but she agreed to marry him because he took her virginity. And she also describes Yukin as a self manipulating pervert. Again, her words in these books she writes that Buck was the one that had called Hazel Show to get her out of the apartment, which is true, and that Buck and Yukin had been the ones to commit the assault in the killing of Lori while she tried to save her. But again, there's no evidence of Lawrence Yukon being in the condo. There's evidence of him being in the car and him taking him and dropping him off, but there's no evidence of him going into the apartment. So right now, Lisa Michelle Lambert is serving out her term at a Massachusetts correctional facility in Farmingham. So she started out in Pennsylvania, Trouble arose. She was moved, I think, to a prison in Delaware and in a prison in New Jersey, and now she's up in Massachusetts. And she actually got a college degree from a university in Boston.
1: Was it in creative writing?
0: I think somebody, I read something that said criminal justice. (laughs) So again, you can check out our website at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com and you will see on the show notes that there's a resources section. So all the resources I looked at for this story are on there. Some of them are fascinating. Check out the YouTube three-part series, The Killing of Lori Show. That gives a lot of more information in that. Yeah, the, the federal trial was crazy. They kind of go through some of that and I did my best to try to summarize it all.
1: Man, a lot of crazy stuff happened in the 90s. I'm so sorry I wasn't there for all of it to experience the craziness.
0: They were good years. I was in my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) They were good years. So that's it for this episode. Maddie, any criminal discourse life tips.
1: I mean, I just go back to the see something, say something, and don't get yourself, I I don't even know. It's just, this is such a a tragic case. I think really, watch who
0: you're friends with would be my life tip. I mean, I get it's hard moving to a new area and you don't know anybody, but clearly if this person is trying to drag you out into stalking and harassment, and then has you make a fake phone call to get a parent out of the home, that's not going to lead to anything good. I'd cut bait and run. All right, that's it for this week. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Again, you can go to criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast, be it iTunes, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, and hopefully soon Pandora. So until next time, guys, remember, like Maddie says, you know, see something, say something. Don't keep that information to yourself because you could help solve a crime. And or save someone's life, actually, if this story is anything to go by. So always remember be safe, but also let's be kind to one another. So until next time, guys, bye. Bye.